Well, thanks very much for listening. This is Jonathan Armstrong bringing you, and I think we should have a fanfare almost, the 150th Tech Law 10 podcast. So it's been our pleasure to talk with you for uh, many weeks now. And as ever, with me for this uh, seminal podcast is Eric Sinrod over there in California. And this week, Eric, cyber liability has been exercising your mind. <laughs> I do like to exercise my mind once in a while. And whenever I speak with you, that is the case. But yes, this is our 150th. Um, if you were to assume that each of our Tech Law 10 were really 10 minutes long, that means you've been listening to 1,500 minutes of our uh, very, uh, hopefully, <laughs> interesting conversations. And frankly, oftentimes we go past the 10. So it's been more like about 2,000 minutes of Jonathan and Eric. So either you love us or you don't, but here we are. So yes, I'm Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris, and let's talk about cyber risks. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. I think we can agree the Internet can be a scary place from a risk standpoint. It seems, Jonathan, that on practically a daily basis, we're hearing about a massive security breach and the theft of sensitive and personal data. So what are companies supposed to do to mitigate their cyber risks? Of course, they should try to employ the best-in-class technologies that are designed to block cyber intrusions and attacks. Uh, and they also, uh, as a second, should try to implement and enforce cybersecurity and company-wide policies. Uh, and the enforcement po point is important, Jonathan, because it's not just sufficient to have this wonderful policy on security issues. It needs to be followed. Um, mm -hmm. But we need to recognize that sec such technologies and policies never are perfect in terms of creating a silver bullet against all cyber risks. Um, and therefore, what else can companies do to cover their Internet perils? And in comes mm. the notion of cyber insurance, which can be procured. And while the notion of insurance has been around for hundreds of years, actually dating back several hundred years to a coffee house in London uh, where there was insurance uh, provided for ships that were going across the high seas. We now have cyber insurance, which is a relatively young um, insurance vehicle, probably about 15 years old. So it's a very, uh, well, it's new to the scene in the insurance world. Uh, and while uh, cyber insurance first came to market uh, in its infancy, uh, at that point it was a rather immature product about 15 years ago. Uh, and that's because assessment of Internet risks was just beginning, and cyber insurance policies varied widely in terms of coverage, exclusions, and price. And that is a factor of you know, not having a mature product. Um, since that beginning, you know, there obviously has been more experience with Internet risk assessment and cyber insurance has progressed with some greater uniformity. Uh, nevertheless, companies seeking to procure cyber insurance really carefully should consider the specific types of cyber risks they face, and from there, they should seek specific or tailored coverage for their particular risks. Uh, there isn't sort of a one-size-fits-all here. Um, Jonathan, given that Internet risks are still unfolding and evolving, uh, insurers themselves want to mitigate their exposure when it comes to issuing mm. 
cyber insurance to their policyholders. So they may insist on certain exclusions in the policies. They can set premiums rather high for certain types of coverages, and they may seek to have reinsurance uh, in place. And there already has been some litigation where uh, coverage has been denied, where a cyber insurer will um, take the position that its insured policyholder did not have sufficient security measures uh, in place uh, as required by the policy. So nevertheless, all that being said, Jonathan, cyber insurance is a valuable a tool in backstopping companies' technological and company policies in seeking to thwart Internet threats. And companies should move forward on all three fronts in terms of technological measures, uh, security policies, and enforcement, and cyber insurance. So all that being said, now let's turn it over to my learned colleague, Mr. Jonathan Armstrong. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Eric. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's actually a, close, uh, a, a topic close to my heart, and this couldn't have been planned better. I was at Lloyd's uh, with my colleague Andre Bywater last week, and I'm pleased to report that in that uh, coffee shop, or at least its successor, the coffee is still excellent, and the English breakfast still very, very good indeed as well. And so we've put a lot of thought into cyber security recently. And as, as I think you implied, Lloyd's is still a huge player in this particular market. Why? Because my understanding is that many of the U.S. policies that are written are actually underwritten at Lloyd's. And the reason for that is that because of there's big breaches in the U.S., Target, and others. There's a reluctance for U.S. insurers to take the whole of the burden, and that's why the Lloyd's market is definitely a player in uh, cyber liability policies, even though cyber liability policies are not as widely available and not as mature a market as they are in the U.S., so part of the proposition, uh, part of the thing that I was speaking to Lloyds about last week is the volatility that I see in the cyber liability market. And, and, and obviously, I'm not going to compress a two-hour speech into uh, or two-hour speech and workshop into in, in, into the remaining three or four minutes. But in <laughs> highlight, but if anybody could do it, was, it would be you. <laughs> In highlight, I think that there are two main threats. Firstly, we have this thing that we've talked about endlessly called the uh, new EU General Data Protection Regulation. Suffice to say, that's much closer now than it was. And this tripartite discussion between the European Commission, the European Council, and the European Parliament is reaching some form of resolution, I think. There is one thing that's still uncertain but two that are fairly certain that affect cyber liability policies. The first one is a right to object to profiling. Now, originally as planned, this may have stopped the cyber liability market somewhat dead in its tracks in that obviously most insurers are reluctant currently to price people who haven't been through PCI compliance, uh, particularly those in the retail sector. And this right, as originally drawn up, may have removed from insurers the right to price according to profile, 
is obviously a key element of underwriting and, and indeed of general insurance. That uh, proposal is somewhat uncertain, and it may end up as the existing right under debt protection legislation to object to automatic processing, which is still an issue for insurers, but not as big an issue. The two things I think that are more certain are the right to portability. So if you have data on you in a social media network and you want to move from network A to network B, you can take your photographs and history with you. Obviously, in the insurance environment, that might enable an insured to move their claims history from one insurer to another. Again, something that the insurers are going to have to engineer in. And the third element I think that's really impactful is this thing called the right to be forgotten. Um, that might be something that we return to next week, Eric, because that's a big topic and we've had some uh, developments on that recently, including those with a criminal history who seem to be trying to clean up their past. And obviously for an insurer, that's hard to insure against. The thing that I think does work in favor of insurers is uh, currently in Europe, because with few exceptions, there's no obligation to report a security breach. It's hard for them to price security pre breach policies because there's no public data on how many are reported. Um, I think that will change with the EU debt protection regulation. We're already seeing some countries jump the gun, like Germany, and others threaten to if the regulation's further delayed, like the Netherlands. And then the other two, uh, the other big development that I think is two-horned outside of the regulation that has a real impact on cyber liability, I think more significant this year than the regulation, is the rise in class actions in Europe. So we've already talked about the Schrems action, which is potentially hugely consequential for uh, Facebook, and the Austrian litigation still going on. There's additionally some extra uh, litigation now in uh, in Belgium, and you'll recall that we've talked before about the playing in this market of a German litigation funder who's underwriting the Schrems litigation. Additionally, we've had a new case in the UK called um, Vidal Hall. I always have to pause because I always want to say Gore Vidal, but it is Vidal Hall. Um, and that's, a, that's a, quite a niche topic. It's about Google's alleged interference with Safari browser users. But that narrow case could have a much wider implication. And again, to use the common term, open the floodgates to class actions. And that in itself is also something that cyber liability insurers are worried about because obviously currently it's very difficult to get distress, uh, uh, distress payments after a data protection violation may be caused by um, a hack or may be caused by somebody carelessly leaving information on a train or a plane or a boat or whatever. But if Vidal Hall and the Schrems case both go in the plaintiff's favor, then potentially the magnitude of damages for these type of events that insurers are going to underwrite goes up. And, uh, and obviously, in an in immature market, that's uh, potentially uh, catastrophic consequences for some insurers, I think, given the uh, amount of claimants 
800,000-ish, allegedly, in the Schrems litigation. So um, I, I guess the other thing I should do is, is to thank Marcus Aldrich at Lloyd's for giving uh, me the opportunity to go over there and, and chat to people there. It's definitely an area of interest and one that I suspect will return to Eric. Yes, uh, really good contribution. Thank you, Jonathan. I myself have spent my fair share of time at Lloyd's, and, and you're right in terms of how the pictures painted. There are you know, pieces of uh, insurance, if you will, on any given liability. You'll have some insurers subscribing to certain percentages of uh, layered risks or layered coverage, if you will. Um, so Lloyd's is a fascinating place. Um, you mentioned the right to be forgotten. That's come up um, a number of times in our, our podcast. And I did a little archaeological dig. I've been writing a weekly cyber law blog since 1999. That goes way back. We're talking wow. 16 years. This was back before the word blog really was used much. So it was called an online column. And I actually went back mm -hmm. and I found a blog I wrote many years ago where I was talking about the notion of you know, should people's you know, cyber past always be allowed to follow them? Should their digital footprints be permanent mm -hmm. and never erased? And I was postulating that people should have a right to be able to walk away from uh, their past in certain circumstances. And lo and behold, we're now dealing with the right to be forgotten. So at least once upon a time, I had a, a thought that uh, actually came to uh, fruition in uh, real-life discussions about some of the cyber matters we're dealing with. So this has been our 150th. Uh, it's my pleasure to keep working with Jonathan on these podcasts. I, for one, find them uh, interesting and challenging and educational. I'm always learning from Jonathan and like to keep myself up to speed as much as possible. We hope you will stay with us as we go to the next 150. We're going to certainly go up to at least 300, don't you think, Jonathan? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> Why not? We're young. Why not? So anyway, my name is Eric Sinrod. I'm with the San Francisco office of Dwayne Morris. You can find me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You know you can find us on the usual social media outlets, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Jonathan always loves to close it out, so I'm going to turn it over to him. Thanks. Um, I also wanted to take a moment to thank uh, Peter Wright of Digital Law and his colleagues on the Law Society's uh, Technology and Reference uh, Law Committee um, for their um, interesting comments on Technology Ten at a dinner they held last week, and it was nice to catch up with people who actually listen and have suggestions. So uh, I was very pleased uh, to go along to that, and, and I publicly thank them for the invite. Um, do keep your suggestions for topics coming. I'm Jonathan Armstrong at CordaCompliance.com. As ever, you can connect with us on the uh, on LinkedIn, and maybe we'll post uh, an article on Vidal Hall and some of the cases that we discussed. And we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. And all that remains to be said is go USA for the U.S. Women's World Cup title championship. <laughs> <laughs> Adios. Take care. Bye. Uh, 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 uh,